After his downfall in 1979, Idi Amin died in exile in 2003. The current president of the Republic of Uganda, Yoweri Museven, has been in power for 32 years. Idi Amin ruled Uganda for just eight years. Forty years after Idi Amin's military government fell from power, he remains the most widely known Ugandan in the world and in history. When Ugandans travel to study or live in any part of the world, they are more likely to hear, ah, Uganda, Idi Amin than any other first comment. My name is Eric Mwinemugaj. This is the third and the fourth episodes of the podcast exploring the experiences and stories about Idi Amin as had thousands of miles away from Uganda. Forty years after his downfall, Idi Amin on the streets of London and university campuses. In the last two episodes, I narrated my experiences of Idi Amin's stories. In part one, Idi Amin is a comical character for children and strangely narrated as almost harmless. In part two, Idi Amin is presented as a dictator, a diplomatic fool, and outside classes, Idi Amin is a film folder in fictions and popular culture. This is Idi Amin I met abroad. I moved to Europe at the age of 19 and I was actually surprised to meet two more Idi Amins. It was clear that I had not left stories of Idi Amin in Uganda. His stories were everywhere. When I moved to Amsterdam, I had even more stories of Idi Amin. Like, I would go to people, I'm from Uganda, and they'll be like, oh, where is that? And then I would say, Idi Amin. <laughs> it sounded like Idi Amin was a country. I was quite surprised to meet one Ugandan Indian in London who seemed to suggest that Idi Amin provided some opportunity to these Indians who were not doing well in Uganda. So like his parents, he said, they were able to start from nothing and gain a lot just because they were expelled from Uganda. It's interesting as many people took it for granted and think all Indians were doing well in Uganda. Stacy from Amsterdam and Richard who studied in London and now lives in Kampala. To me, my experience in London without doubt indicates that Amin was the man to put Uganda on the world's map for London's average Joe, and in that stories about him have been told and retold in films and documentaries for over 30 years. For example, upon meeting a new person in London, the conversation would normally flow like this. My name, your name, nice to meet you. Me too. Where are you from? What about you? Pause. Same ending. Uganda. Oh wow, Idi Amin. I would say that 6 out of 10 times the man's name pops up in the first minute of many conversations. I've had even few people ask if Idi Amin was still the president of Uganda or ask is Uganda still peaceful? Has the war ended? Almost 40 years on, Idi Amin is a living ghost who just won't die. When I think about it, it's like Idi Amin owns Uganda. I was born well after the end of the British rule in Uganda, but on moving to London, I started to realize racial and economic inequality in the West. It can be easily seen on the streets of London. 
the worst and the most humiliating jobs are usually reserved for black people. My experience has been whenever I went out clubbing, toilet attendants are mostly black people. I sometimes felt embarrassed to go to washrooms because there was always some sense of collective shame I felt and usually asked myself what is the added value of toilet attendant services as if one needs help for such a private matter bouncers are mostly black men and women at least in my experience i started to wonder if black men scare bad boys a mean in his poor grasp of politics so the remnants of racial hierarchy is continuing in post-independence Uganda and like his contemporary Mugabe he sought to rectify economic inequalities by embracing a policy of Africanization of economy now this leads me on to how I met the final version of Idi Amin in England, I joined two top-ranking universities. It is then that I started mixing with wealthy, educated kids. I began to meet Idi Amin sympathizers. They too were introduced to Idi Amin through African for Beginners Hollywood films, but were now seeking knowledge and interrogating history after learning about historical amnesia surrounding colonization and the empire and its outcomes in their early education. I met some who were ashamed to learn about the empire activities. I met others who chose to call it history and get over it. Others didn't care. I met an interesting bunch. Often most were happy to ignore the fact that Idi Amin murdered thousands and focused on the ideology which led him to expel Asians, Israelis and kill or imprison those who questioned him. What I've always realized is that Amin was the product of an empire as was the Indian presence in Uganda. The South Asians were brought to the country by the British. Both groups subjected to controlled antagonism and creation of racial hierarchies by the British, of which according to the British, Asians were below the British and the Ugandans below the Asians. When the British left, this system was never dismantled and indeed many legacies remain, so was that of Idi Amin. The point here is that Amin was created and trained by the British who mistakenly expected him to behave as a puppet after his removal to their great celebration, his predecessor, the socialist Milton Obote. He was eccentric but would not say that he was completely mad. After all, he ruled Uganda for eight years and even survived numerous assassination attempts. The man fought for the British in the Mau Mau and witnessed extreme violence inflicted to those against the British rule. It is not surprising that he soon turned against the British. The sense of celebration only lasted less than a year. He soon proved himself to be eccentric, unpredictable and compromising. But still, returning to my original question, why is Idi Amin so enduring? There were so many other dictators at the continent, for example Mobutu of Zaire, now called DRC. I ask again, what did Amin do differently from any other dictators on the continent to make him a subject of so many films, win him sympathizers and cement his place in popular consciousness half a world and a century away? 
For the likes of Hollywood, the same characteristics that made Idi Amin a joke for us as kids make him a fantastic film folder. Amin does not only play in the stereotypes of the paranoid rulers and violent African men that pervades the mainstream films aimed at primarily white audience, he is also naturally eccentric, larger than life and in real honesty kind of funny. In real life, he played accordion. He could dance and entertain, meaning that he could create a party atmosphere everywhere he went. He was always smiling and not shy to join into traditional dances. He was a sport fanatic, a competent, a competent swimmer, a boxer who loved motor racing. He was a man who had been greatly shaped by circumstances around him, but also held tightly to his convictions. The experience of Mau Mau fighting for the British helped him become the president, where in growing paranoia he found himself fighting against everyone. It is unusual that the film that probably presents Amin in the most one-dimensional light should be acted by someone whose conception of Idi Amin probably falls into the misunderstood camp. Hollywood actor Forrest Whitaker, who won an Oscar for his, for his portrayal of Idi Amin, considered that while Idi Amin was murderous, he also reshaped opportunity for Africans and that he was a product of colonialism and was demonized not based entirely on what he did to Ugandans, but what he did not do for the British. Amin was also not shy to involve in international issues rather in an unconventional way. In the aftermath of the Watergate scandal in the U.S., Idi Amin sends a telegram to the U.S. President Richard Nixon saying, Mr. President, it now appears clearly from the latest development that the leadership of your government will not recover from the scandal of the Watergate affair. The best chance for the U.S. to restore its dignity in the world is to have a new leadership, which should have a majority black American is in it, Amin told the U.S. President back in 1974. On Israel and Palestine issue, he allowed the plane hijacked by the Palestinian terrorists to land at Entebbe. This yet again became a subject of another Hollywood film, The Raid on Entebbe, more recently remade into Seven Days in Entebbe, released in 2018. It is clear that Hollywood is set to continue cashing on this eccentric figure. In short, we have a character who's verified by the West, loved by Hollywood, a comical character for children in Uganda, and who's also lauded by the Arab world, thanks to his stance on Israel and standing with his Muslim brothers in Palestine. He was fearless in speaking his mind, and not shy to express any opinion without heeding to his spin doctor's advice. Idi Amin played his own rules without compromise, he was simply not a politician. While others such as Kenyatta Senior seized on the opportunity to play politics and achieve their means, Idi Amin was unique in his poor grasp of politics. Sense of optimism despite this and the means he used to achieve his ends, he has been portrayed as a monster and captured by children, but we are yet to see a Hollywood blockbuster, the making of Idi Amin. Thanks for listening. I am Eric Mwinemugaj. I do recommend to listen to the previous episodes. 
part one, two, and three. Do you have a story related or unrelated to this podcast that you would like to narrate? Please contact me. My Twitter handle is at E underscore Mugaj. Thanks again for listening.